I want to just kind of give you a peek into my world just, just a little bit. Um, I've, I've really struggled with this message, and I don't know if ADD was kicking in or just a burden that I have for our church and maybe just a sense of this high and holy week leading up to Easter, maybe just being a pastor and having uh, some of your burdens in my mind. And this week I got some bad news and got some good news, and I was up here studying. My wife, it was really, really late. That's very common, but she texted me because it was super late. She's like, are you are you okay? Where, where are you? And I'm like, babe, you can track me on your phone and you know, you know where I am and we don't have trust issues, but I'm just struggling. And with just the burdens, I went up from my third floor office just right here and went up to the roof. Just a great night. Hadn't the weather just been glorious and just to be out among the stars and the moon and just to look and to pray, to breathe and just take it in and to transfer my cares on, because he cares for me. Scripture says I can cast my cares on him you ever done that? I just had a moment uh, early, early this morning. It was 2.45 a.m., and I'm on the roof right there. It's not structurally sound. Engineers are opposed to what I did, but I was there just spending time with God, and I just drank it in, and I heard an audible voice. And the voice at approximately 2.45 a.m. this morning said, Are you on the roof? And there was a man. I, I'm, I'm kind of scared of heights, and I got close to the edge, and there was a man in the bed of my truck. And I'm like, am I on the roof? Are you in my truck? <laughs> so I walked down and we have a conversation. I was really, it was like a, a real tension in my mind. I was kind of like, you know, Jesus loves you, but you can't be on our property. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but we got lights and cameras. You need, to, you need to scoot, right? But right when all that was happening, I didn't call them, but police showed up and handled the matter for me. That was pretty cool. But in just the brief moments that I had with this guy, he was very disheveled. Clothes, I'm guessing that he had worn several days in a row, but he was wearing a cross around his neck. And I noticed this week when you preach, you kind of, you develop some keen observational skills. I noticed that man uh, late last night or early this morning, what he was wearing around his neck was also what Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber and Pope Francis are wearing around their necks as well. The cross, it's the series that we're in. Specifically, we're saying understanding the cross, and I want us today to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. It'll be on the screen. You follow along with me, and I'll read it aloud. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the what? Through the cross thereby killing the hostility. This morning, I want you to circle, if you're able to, to circle three words in these verses that we read. The first is that word cross found in verse 16. The second word is the word remember found in verse 12. And then the third word is the word reconcile found also in verse 16. If you have an open Bible, do that. If it's our Bible, you can mark it up. Uh, cross, remember, reconcile. I want you to circle the word cross, obviously, because it's the series that we're in. 
And we're delving a little deeper into four specific words. Before I recapture those words and introduce a new one this morning, I want to show you a picture of a Rembrandt painting of the crucifixion. He did many, so, some of them so very famous. Rembrandt was inspired in large part by the words of Jesus recorded in John chapter 12, that I will, he was speaking future tense, I will be high and lifted up, and when I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You see that in this depiction of the crucifixion. In another painting, probably his most famous, it at first glance looks like many of the renderings in the Renaissance period. Darkness, the dark night sky, the hill, three crosses, a crowd. But in this one famous work, there is something that stands out. It's a man in the crowd dressed in 17th century clothing. You see, Rembrandt put himself in the story of the cross. The story, this story, his story, he put himself there. And that really is what we're inviting you to do this Easter season, is to put yourself in the story of the cross. Another picture is a much more modern one. It's of the USS New York. Now, there are a few different USS New Yorks, so if you Google and fact check, be careful before you email me, okay? But here's one that was built, and it was reconstructed post 9-11 with steel and metal that was salvaged from our World Trade Center. Workers in Louisiana refigured this for reuse. And you can imagine some of them Cajun guys in Louisiana, their fervor and their passion and their emotion as they built this USS New York, knowing that it would be used to fight terrorism around the world. In fact, it's used today they can put 700-plus U.S. Marines, including Special Operation Forces, on this. One of the workers in Louisiana said in this story, the terrorists had their say, but they didn't have the final say. In a way, that's the message of the cross. You see, sin, there's plenty of empirical data, plenty of evidence to talk about sin, right? God, sometimes we're like, is there a God? Where are you, God? I don't feel you. I don't see you. But sin, it's all around us. And Satan is kicking tail. And hell is having its say. And the enemy is strutting. But it's not the final say. And just as Rembrandt puts himself in the story, I'm inviting you to do the same. And just as the USS New York, we see something that was just so despicable and deplorable, so tragic, has been redeemed and restored. It's not the final say. And the message of the cross, something yet is to be spoken into the world. The cross. It's this, as we've said, this iconic symbol, this Enduring image. Let it speak to us during this season. We wear it flippantly. We don't understand its meaning. And it's why we're jumping into these words. We introduced in week one, we introduced to you the word propitiation. That's a word that you can use at office parties to impress your friends and confound your enemies. 
The word propitiation, I, I knew you needed rescue. We took it from 1 John 4. But the word propitiation, we said, means atoning sacrifice. And in that sermon, we talked about what some of us just don't want to talk about. We don't really have a place, a room in our minds for it. But we, we talked about the wrath of God. The Bible never says God is wrath. It says God is love. But to love, there is wrath. I said to you that day in week one of propitiation, the wrath of God, that you actually want God to be angry. There is, there is evil and injustice in this world. And this week, unless you shielded yourself from it and you had to be careful or artful to live in a cave or under a rock. But we saw children convulsing, bodies contorted. Eyes rolling back in their heads. Chemical warfare in Syria. And I'm not getting political. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about whether you're for regime change or not or any of that. I'm just saying I hadn't met anybody this week in my conversation of any side of the aisle that was like, 59 Tomahawk missiles, bad idea. Shouldn't have done that. That's too many. Right? Not getting political. I'm just saying that everybody I've talked to, everybody I've met, there's just something in us that when we see that evil, when we see someone do that to children, we say there is wrath and that is not right and that needs to be corrected. That's in you and that's in me and that's in God. And God hates what is evil and unjust. And wrath, we cannot fully appreciate his love. We cannot really understand the message of the cross unless we consider the wrath of God. Now, what do we do? Uh, my tribe, my stripe, my profession, we lead our churches. We throw God into the theological dryer and we reduce him to ultra God friend and to a shrink-wrapped little manageable deity. We declaw the Lion of Judah, as the great preacher Charles Spurgeon says. And what we have is a household pet. He's loving and loyal and tame, and he's there when we need him. But that is not God. And God is other. God is high, and he is holy. And he has this hatred for the sin that hurts us so deeply. And when I, as a pastor, get a call in the wee hours of the night and show up at a home where there's drugs and alcohol and anger and rage and collateral damage all around, there is a place to get stirred up. There is a place to say, I hate this. Lord, come quickly. Lord, bring heaven to earth. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pro week one, propitiation. We talked about his wrath and his love meeting at the cross. And now it's a wrath that is satisfied. And we can walk in his love. Week two, we talked about redemption. That word doesn't need as much explanation, but we invited you to go to the city of Ephesus in the first century. It was the fourth largest city at the time behind Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. It was a major port city. And in Ephesus, first century, there was products bought and sold in the Agora in the marketplace. And you could get spices and jewelry and clothing and cosmetics. And you could buy everything, including people. You could buy slaves. And Paul writes into this culture in Ephesians chapter 1, introducing us to redemption. And he says to the early followers of Jesus, you have been bought with a price, not with silver and gold. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And I challenged you, church, 
to live that way, to live as redeemed people. I put up verses on the screen that direct us. You've been redeemed, therefore it should affect these areas of your life. Your forgiveness, your finances, your body. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. That affects everything about you physically. Sexuality, alcohol, exercise, sleep. Live as redeemed people. You've been purchased. Not just forgiveness and finances and our bodies, our physicality, but also our leadership. In Acts chapter 20, it says that those who lead in the church should do so because we shepherd the flock and the flock has been redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ. What do shepherds do? They lead and feed and protect. And I need to do my job. And if you're one of our leaders, you need to do your job because people have been bought with a prize. And last week we talked about justification. Nick Crawford preached, I don't know what all he said, but he talked about justification. Were you here? Don't you appreciate Nick Crawford? I mean, he is, I want to be like him when I grow up. And I mean that. I mean, he is one of the best dudes. I know Nick Crawford is our attorney turned pastor. That'll balance out in heaven one day. But we gave Nick this very legal term. He took us into the courtroom as we looked at justification. So today, beyond propitiation and redemption and justification, we're looking at reconciliation. But before reconcile, I want you to think of the second word that you circled. Cross, remember, reconcile. But this word, remember. Guys, this word, remember, is all up in the Bible. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with that or what I do with that, but it's all up in there. When I was a young man, I got my driver's license at 15 years old. You could do that back then in Mississippi. So when I was 15, I started driving. My wife's shaking her head. My parents told me, every time I would leave the house, my parents would say to me, they would say two things. What do you think they said? Have fun, be careful. <laughs> Some of you. Have fun, be careful. And over time, I noticed they stopped saying the first part. They thought, you know, he's, he, evidently he's doing a good job. So we'll just emphasize the be careful. And every time, be careful, be careful. I would grab my keys and try to sneak out in the, in the Jeep that I was paying for, and I was mine, I had my license, and I'm my, my life, and I'm leaving. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. And I would roll my eyes and probably mumble something because I was a teenager and my brain wasn't fully developed at the time, right? Be careful, be careful, be careful. Now, why would my parents say over and over, be careful? The answer is an obvious one. It was probably because I was so careless. And I needed to hear the words, be careful. And in the Bible, the second word I ask you to circle from Ephesians 2, 12, remember, is used over and over and over again in the Bible. Why do you think? Anybody want to hazard a guess on this one? Probably because we so readily forget. I can't be exhaustive because you're going to want to go to lunch soon, right? And there's master's coverage on television. But I will just point to you a little bit of what the Bible says when it comes to this word, remember. Of course, the Bible tells us to remember God, to not forget him. It tells us to remember traditions that are important, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It tells us to remember the leaders, your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, Hebrews chapter 13. It tells us to Remember your creator in your youth, Ecclesiastes 12. It says to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It says in Psalm 119 
to remember God, to remember his word. And it says to remember God in the night watches. My understanding of that is at night is when depression kicks in and insomnia. And when all those thoughts roll through your head like they were doing mine last night and this morning. And that's when you are to remember God. Remember God. Revelation 2, remember your first love. Don't forget that. Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed... He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. And what did he say? This do in remembrance of me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord who was so gracious and powerful. He led you out of Egypt, out of the household of slavery. Do not forget, he told them over and over. And what did they do? They forgot. Deuteronomy 8, it can really puncture the pride and the hearts of modern Americans, especially with some affluence that we have. It says, do not forget the Lord. When you eat and are satisfied, when you have a fine home and you settle down, when your flocks and your herds increase, when your gold and your silver grow larger, when all that you have multiplies, do not, Deuteronomy 8 says, do not let your heart go proud and forget the Lord. Remember, remember, remember. And Ephesians 2 tells us to remember, remember this reconciliation. Remember that the story, it's changed. Nine years ago, approximately, I went home one day and I went home to something that my son has did. Have you, know, have you noticed that parents that when one of them does something wrong, it's, it's, it's your son, right? Not our son. And my youngest at the time, he had, uh, now granted there was chalk all on the sidewalk, but he had spray painted a W in our driveway, a bl big blue, not a beautiful W, but I mean, a little bitty guy, but a big W. And I bet you Wesley was thinking that W stands for Wesley. And I was thinking that W stands for whooping. <laughs> and I got home and he had hid himself. You know how little bitty kids, they hide themselves, uh, he, they hide themselves, but they're showing part of their body. Like they want to hide, but they want to be found. They just want it over with. And he was hiding, but listen, cut him some slack because he was doing what you and I do. Fear and shame made him hide, and fear and shame make me hide, and they do you too. Don't act like you're any different. Whooping never crossed my mind. I got it right that day. I don't always get it right, dads, but okay. But I got it right that day and I walked in and I lifted him up and I pu pulled him toward me and I said, W is my favorite letter in the alphabet. How many letters are there in the alphabet? He didn't know the answer was 24. But 24 and W, I taught him in that moment, teachable moment. I said, of all the letters, W is my favorite. And he squirmed out of my arms and went to his room, a room that he shared with his big brother. He went into his piggy bank and he got some coins and a couple of crumpled up dollar bills. And he brought it to me. And with tears in his eyes, he offered me money that he was saving for some WrestleMania figure. And I said, hey, buddy, dad's got this one. I bet you they got some type of chemical agent at Home Depot. And if I get down on my hands and knees and scrub, I bet you it'll come off that concrete. And that's what we did. That's what I did. Later that day, there were, we called him the three amigos. There were a couple of his friends in the little cul-de-sac. 
And one of the little friends was brought over to the house and Wesley was pointing to the driveway and he said, look, that's where I painted the W with the spray paint right there. And it's not there anymore. And Connor, his friend said to him, did you scrub it out? And Wesley said, I couldn't get the stain out, but my dad could and he did. And that day, Wesley was like God. He turned a stain into a story. Wesley couldn't take the stain out, but he pointed to his father who could and did. God, he can take the stain out. So on the roof last night, I prayed for us. I prayed for Fondren Church. I prayed that we would have stories. Story after story of stains being removed. Of a stain becoming a story. Of this is my battle. This was my struggle. It's not true about me anymore. It doesn't define me. In fact, it's loosening its grip. That alcoholism, that pornography, that rage, that bitterness, that gossip, that envious comparing people pleasing spirit, it's losing its clutch on me. The stain is being removed. Let me tell you my story. Remember, remember what he's done and remember what he can do. Because you know what happens in the body of Christ? When you're brave enough to tell your story of a stain being removed, it inspires somebody else that's maybe in the moment weaker and hurting and wondering if God can do that in their life as well. Remember, remember. 1995, driving from Colorado to Florida. I lived in South Florida at the time with friends. We stopped in Oklahoma City. We pulled up to what was a federal building was become a memorial. The FBI had tape all around it. There were bunches of flowers, stuffed animals, pictures of loved ones. And a man with a sign and a clip of his son. And under it, on poster board, in black, there was a drawn, he drew a rudimentary cross. And under that cross it said, because of the cross, I can forgive Timothy McVeigh. Because of heaven, I will see my son one day. God is a reconciler. I compare that to my last Fondren's First Thursday. When I, as a pastor and local resident, want to get out and stroll and enjoy my community and bless people and see you and see others and there are religious hate mongers with their signs. And I think of that sign. I think of the provocative nature of it. How it pushes us to even think about what's possible in the area of reconciliation the cross remember and lastly reconcile it's this word here's a definition I probably should have given it to you earlier reconciliation is this two different definitions it's 
coming. Reestablishment of an uninterrupted or broken relationship. The exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20 puts it this way. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. A little bit of context, a little bit of history. There was a nation, a nation called Israel, and the nation of Israel and their sons and daughters were a distinct ethnic tribe. And they were originally called to be uh, under Abraham and other leaders. They were called to be blessed, but to be a blessing to all the nations. But they became this defined ethnic tribe and they grew, there grew with that a lot of Hebrew ethnic pride. And that Hebrew ethnic pride in so many ways deemed others outside as unclean and unworthy. And now here Paul is saying, and by the way, before this there was Jesus and Paul is pointing back to Jesus. And when Jesus was here in the early stages, he told these guys, he said, hey, let's go over to the other side. And when I first read that, I didn't know much about the Bible. I thought it was just point A to point B. And I passed right over it. But then I began to realize when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, he was talking about Caesarea Philippi. He was talking about a place where Jewish people didn't go. And he was teaching them that this is not tribal anymore. This is called you are blessed to be a blessing to the world and to the nations. And the gospel is not narrow and constrictive and defined like you want to define. It's very big and very bold and very large. And it's for the world. Let's go to the other side. And Paul is saying, looking back at the cross, he's saying that day on the cross a new day began the old was nullified the wall of separation it was broken and God is bringing Jews and Gentiles together and all the nations there is one Lord one faith one baptism but it is for every tribe every tongue and every nation reconciliation and it's vertical Picture the cross, the beam that goes from the earth to heaven. It's vertical. You and I, because of a nature called sin, we are separated from God. And in our separation from God, we get on some crooked paths. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And on those crooked paths that we get on, you and me, we get on these paths and we're looking to satisfy our soul in ways that our soul cannot be satisfied. Again, you know what I'm talking about. We need this separation. We need it to be bridged. We need to be reconciled. We need it. And that's what God does in this vertical relationship. But what happens when there's vertical fracture? It affects all horizontal relationships. And you and I, I mean, I'm just, I want to paint a realistic picture. I'm not a negative person. But I just want to tell you, we get, grow so easily disappointed with one another, don't we? The grace we've been given, we don't give other people the benefit of the doubt, and we're not willing to extend it to them. We, our relationships, grow fractured. Good friend, dear friend, godly man, was a pastor with me for years, is a counselor now. We send our people to him. He came to speak to our staff this week to talk to us as pastors to help us discern, to help us have greater wisdom. When is pastoral counseling enough? And when do we need to say, oh Lord, they need some professional help. 
And we really just don't know. You know, we're wanting to lean on him and that team, and he's wanting to lean back on us, right? And they get paid a lot, and we don't get paid that much. But, you know, can we, can we counsel? Can we walk people through? Can we help people reconcile? But you've got to get the vertical right. You've got to get the vertical right. God reconciles people to himself and people to people and all of us to creation. I want to close by sharing with you a final word that ends in I-O-N, not propitiation, redemption or justification or reconciliation, but a word that we all understand very readily, the word adoption. The word that reflects a reality for some of you, a word that's very real for some families in this room, right? Um, our friends, David and Stacy Sego, part of the Fondren family, they crossed the pond this week, not the reservoir, but like the ocean, and they went to China, and they're bringing back a little one, and they're saying, you, you're mine. Picture, picture an infant boy with an abusive dad. He doesn't have much to eat. He doesn't have a bed to sleep in. When he goes to school because of the lack of food and provision at home, he pockets some snacks from his friend. He's never heard the words at home, I love you. In fact, the words he hears are very insulting and demeaning. He gets beat down. But one day, the right person finds out about it. And there's an intervention, and it's a miraculous one. And this little boy, thank the heavens above, he's taken away from the abusive father. He's introduced to a new family and a new father. That father gives him three squares a day and some pretty cool snacks. He's got a bed to sleep in. He's got toys to play with. And he hears words like, you are mine. You are loved. I will never harm you or hurt you. Now, how does that little boy respond to his new family, new father, new identity? You're just going to come up and preach, aren't you? Jesus said, suffer not the little children to come into me, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm Jesus. You know, she's coming to get you. Your mommy's going to get you. So there's only <laughs> one way out. We live and learn. It's a live broadcast, right? We're live. But this new identity, can you get back in the story with me? This new identity, how does the boy respond? He gets out of his bed at night and sleeps in the floor. He goes to school and he pockets snacks from his friends. When the father comes in the room to give him some affection, what is that? And speak words of life to him, he winces and he recoils. New father, new family, new identity. He's struggling to move from fear to love. From condemnation to acceptance. And that is the story of reconciliation. We've been adopted. And this new identity, we've got to learn. And it's a process. And honestly, I'm in process. I hear voices. Does that surprise you? This is the guy that was on the roof at 245, right? I hear voices and sometimes they're not positive ones and so often they don't speak life into me and I am tempted to go back to the way that it was and just remember the stain and not the story of life change.